Hi, I'm Tim Gillespie, and this is the Crosswalk Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you are one of our regular listeners, we are so glad you choose to journey with us, and we pray every single message inspires you and helps you to become the person God intended you to be, and of course, to love well. If you are already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you have not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that right now. Go to crosswalkvillage.com give and give a one-time gift, or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Crosswalk. And you can do that from wherever you're listening from. What is incredible about Crosswalk is that we have givers who don't live here in Southern California or near any of our other campuses, but support the work of Crosswalk from Southern California to the ends of the earth. Thank you for considering this. And now, listen to the message. My hope is you will allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. Good afternoon, Crosswalk. It's good to see you today. Thanks for being here. I also want to welcome our online audience. Hey, if you're new here in the room or you're new online, I'm Ron Aguilera. I am the executive pastor here at Crosswalk Redlands and the director for mission expansion for our Crosswalk Global Network of Churches that continues to expand by God's movement, and we're trying to keep up. As you know, if you've been attending here at all, we have six campuses in this country and one internationally in Melbourne, Australia. And by this summer, we will go to 10 campuses. Uh, Three weeks from today, I will be in Jakarta, Indonesia to launch, yeah, to launch that campus with 250 people who are gathering there and want to be part of the Crosswalk Network. So... I'm excited uh, to be able to go and represent us there. That'll be our eighth campus. As you heard Pastor Tim mention during the Connect time, we're coming to San Diego. So if you're watching online, yeah, Point Loma, we will be there in 10 days about or so, Wednesday the 21st, as you heard. If you're interested watching online or if you're in the room and know somebody who might be interested to come, Pastor Tim and I will be there, Pastor Taylor, a few of our team to lay out the plans for a launch sometime this summer. So you want more information, you can go on our website, hit locations, you'll see that. And then later this spring, Crosswalk Reno will be launching as well. So more on that when I have a date for that. But Most of you might know, or maybe you don't, that beside our campus level, our next level is our Lovewell communities. And we have quite a few of those. And those are groups of people who have moved from a home group to now meeting in a location on a semi-regular basis, once a month, a couple times a month. And we classify them as Lovewell communities because they aspire to become a campus. So if you're in these areas, you can go online and get information because there's a Lovewell community in your area. Area. Sonora, California, Sacramento, uh, the Silicon Valley, that's in the Mountain View, Milpitas area, Hartford, Connecticut, and Boston as well as we develop those campuses. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And then our newest international, actually, Lovewell community is in Costa Rica. So stay tuned for that if you're watching. So just want to, yeah, give you a little bit of an update on that. A lot of fun things happening uh, that God is doing through Crosswalk elsewhere. So today is campus week, 
All right, and so Pastor Tim has been leading us through uh, a, a series that just concluded uh, New Wine. And next week, Pastor Tim will be here to kick off our new series, The Invitation. So this is Campus Week, Gap Week. And I want to start by asking you a question. Uh, do you have any regrets in your life? Do you have any regrets in your life? Maybe it's because I'm getting older that I've been reflecting a little bit more on my life, on those crossroad decisions, right? When you come to a crossroad or a pivot point where you have to make a choice and, and thinking back, what if I would have known, you know, what I know now then? Would I have made the same decisions? And, uh, and, and so maybe the better question is really about whether or not you would do anything differently, right? As you think back to your regrets, um, are there any big regrets? Because I'm not talking about that regret when you run into that picture, right? That it's got that hairstyle or that outfit. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's, that's a regret. I, I've been trying to get rid of all the pictures of when I was 18, 19. I had long hair. Hard to believe, I know. But uh, I had long hair. And I decided it was a good idea to get like a jerry curl perm. Oh, man, I've been destroying those as, as soon as I can find them. They're, they're bad, right? Regret, right? So, so what are our, our biggest regrets is really what I'm talking about here. And Psychology Today did a survey of people to find out as they look back on their lives, no matter where they were in their life cycle, what their biggest regrets were. And not surprisingly, it's relational. It has to do with relationships as we look back, right? Oftentimes, it's romance, you know, breaking up with that person to, to choosing uh, a life partner. You know, sometimes it's family and parenting decisions or getting to a point where you realize you've been choosing work over family and there's some regret attached to that. Or there's that re restoring or not restoring, I should say, of a relationship, right? Somehow you were in this relationship or this friendship and something happened and you got sideways with each other and neither person took that first step for reconciliation and now years have passed. And you're like, oh man, there's some regret of not restoring that relationship. And then there's anger moments, right? Anger moments. When you have those moments where you lose your cool, you, you get angry, you get mad, and you say something you wish you hadn't said or you do something you wish you hadn't done. It reminds me of a story uh, that I heard some years ago about a father who wanted to teach his son about regret and consequence. And so son had done something. He wanted to teach him this lesson. So he took him out to the backyard. He had a hammer and a long rusty nail. And he said, I want you to pound this nail into this log out here in the backyard, son. And the son did. And it took him a while because it was rusty. That log was hard. And he finally got it pounded all the way in. And then the father said to him, now I want you to pull that out. <laughs> I want you to take that nail out. That was a lot more difficult, but he turned that hammer around and he tugged and pulled and pried and finally was able to get that nail out. And then the father said, now I want you to get the hole out. Now I want you to get the hole out. See, we all have regrets. You know, things that you did or wish you did or didn't do, but they're all connected with the consequence. It's that hole that it creates in our lives or the lives of others. What we regret is the consequence, the result of a decision that we made. And sometimes we wish that we could make that decision over again. Which leads to the question, how or is it even possible to live a regret-free life? Right? Or is it unavoidable? So, so, so maybe the better question is how do we live life with less regret, right? A life where we don't have to look back and wish we could have a do-over. 
Golfers call it a mulligan. Uh, I like to play golf, and, and, and mulligans tend to be part of the repertoire of golfers of all ages, particularly early on in their journey, right? And basically, if you hit a shot for, uh, into the trees to the left or into the water on the right, or you dribble it 10 yards in front of you, a mulligan is a do-over. You can not count that shot and the penalty shot attached to that, and you can just do it over again. No penalty uh, attached to that. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to do that in real life, right? You say something you wish you didn't say or do something you wish you didn't do, and you say, hey, taking a mulligan on that. Hun, I, mulligan, right? Uh, that, that would be fantastic, right? Because we get to those moments where we realize that as you get older, that no matter the, the life that you lead or the experiences that you've had, there's still going to be this moment of regret and this longing inside of us to avoid those, to live what I would call a no-regret life. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, if you're part of our community here at Crosswalk, you know that we strive to be a people that love well. You hear that every single week, right? We want to create a community of belonging for all, where everyone belongs. We want to be a community that's authentic and inclusive and compassionate. We want to be a place of reconciliation and healing. But the truth is that we as individuals, you and I, have not always done our best there. We haven't always listened well, especially to those who are not like us. Right? It's a lot easier to treat people well and to respect people who, uh, who think like us or who like us, right? We, we really appreciate their good taste, right? Because they like us. They, they understand what we understand. But oftentimes, that's not the case. And people who are not like us are sometimes hard to love or hard to listen to. Uh, the church has not always been a place that's listened well either. That's the reality, and some of you, if not all of you, have experienced some of that as well. But it's especially true for some people groups. And then there's our society, the culture that we live in hasn't always treated or listened, again, well to those with different experiences. And as you look back on that, there's regret attached to that. So today what I'd like to do is to have you do a little self-assessment, to do a little self-inventory. How are you doing Where's your regret meter if you want to use that, right? Or where are you on that scale? Particularly relationally, because most of our regrets are attached to relationships. Relationships with other people, our family, our friends, right? That loved one, that special person. And then our relationship to God. Life and regret tend to go hand in hand oftentimes. It's almost as if we were not designed to live this life. It's almost as if the compass that's supposed to guide you into becoming the future you, the person that God created you to be, is broken. And you're wandering in the dark. Now, some people like the dark, but anybody here afraid of the dark? And you don't have to admit it. <laughs> right? Uh, there's, a, there, there's, there's a store, uh, there's, there's this uh, memory in my mind of, of a friend of mine named Freddie. When we were 12 or 13 years old, Freddie was the leader of our of our group of two or three guys that would roam the neighborhood in the town that we lived in, particularly in summer, looking for something to do, right? Go to the reservoir, go to the woods, go down to the park. And one day, Freddie had the bright idea that he wanted to explore not what was above ground, but what was below ground. 
right? And he had seen, as we all had, but hadn't really paid attention to, this culvert. You know what I'm talking about, right? This kind of round pipe that where water comes out from underground or, or you know, from the rain like we had this last week. And he decided, hey, let's go and see where that leads. And so the three of us decided, hey, this is a great idea. Let's go. And we went in there and we started working our way there. There was water and we were kind of just slashing through there. And we got to an intersection. I didn't realize there were intersections in there. And we turned left and then we got to the next one and we turned right. And next thing you know, about an hour went by and we find ourselves, we don't know where, in the dark. And we're like... This is cool, until we didn't, because <laughs> then we started getting hungry. Like, huh, we got to get out of here. We got to get home, get some, get some supper. And now we didn't know which way to go. So we began to work our way back until we got to one of the intersections. And Freddie, I think it was, had the idea that the way that we would turn to was the one that had the most light. <laughs> Makes sense, right? But hey, we were 12. It's good one of us thought of that. Right, so, so we began to work our way and we, uh, towards the light and eventually found our way out. You know, sometimes we choose the dark. Sometimes we choose the dark. We, other times, we find ourselves there. We don't know how we got there. Right? Something happened and we made a decision. I said this, had that, moved here. And next thing I know, I'm finding my way in the darkness. And I don't know how I got there. You know, there's an Old Testament story that uh, addresses this that I want to just focus on for a few moments uh, this afternoon. When I was growing up, I loved Old Testament stories. And there were two characters with similar names that I used to get mixed up. Elias and Eliseo. Elijah and Elisha. Very similar in both languages, right? Uh, one of them, by the way, called the she-bears down on the boys who were making fun of his bald head. Just saying. All right, well, it's a story about Elisha, right? And the story is found in 2 Kings chapter 13. And it has something to tell us about our decision and, our cons- and the consequences of our decisions and the regret that often comes from decisions that we wish we could do over again in comparison to how it is that we should live the life that God has for us, right? The, his preferred future for us, which is light, by the way, in the metaphor that scripture uses versus darkness, and there's a prophet, right, that's Elisha, who's become the spokesperson. That's what a prophet was. They were a spokesperson for the, to the people of God and that culture. And we find, as we jump into the end of this story, that he's talking, speaking to the king of Israel, whose name is Jehoash. Now, you need to understand, when I say Israel, in this case, I'm talking about the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel, throughout the... Old Testament is known as a group of God's people. And if you know a little bit of Old Testament history, you know that Abraham and God made a covenant. He would become a great nation. He eventually had the son of promise, which was Isaac, who had Jacob, whose name was later named, changed to Israel. And he had 12 sons and they became the tribes of Israel. 
But what happens is, as time goes on, some of those tribes move away from God. They move in the other direction. They move towards darkness, you could say, while two remain a bit more faithful. The ten that move away from God are continued to be referred to as Israel, while the other two are called Judah because of the two tribes that remain, Judah and Benjamin. And so this is about those who have been moving away from God. And what ends up happening, there's a pattern, recurring pattern that you read through in the Old Testament, right? They move away from God. Uh, they, they end up being oppressed by one of the neighboring nations. They regret that they've moved away from God because of the consequences that they are now experiencing. And so they call on God now to come and to rescue them. And this is what's happening in this story. It's part of that recurring pattern. Israel has been at war with Aram, which is modern day Syria, and they've been oppressed. And now it's the end of Elisha's ministry. We're right at the end of his story and the king comes to him and what he hopes for is that Elisha will accept him, forgive him, offer him a blessing which will lead to victory. And now we tune in, 2 Kings chapter 13, to this conversation that's taken place. Elisha, the prophet, says to him, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to open that eastern window. You know, if you look on today's map, Syria hasn't moved. Aram was there, right? It's to the east and to the north. And he says, I want you to open that eastern window and I want you to shoot an arrow, is what he's referring to here. And I want you to shoot an arrow through that window. And he does. And then Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow. So now you're going to have victory over Aram, which is great. This is exactly what the king wants. But then he says something else, which I find fascinating. He said, now I want you to take the arrows from your quiver. The rest of the arrows is the implication. And the king did so. And then Elisha said, now instead of shooting them out through that window, I want you to strike the ground. I want you to strike the ground. And the king says, okay. And he does three times and he stops. Now it's a bit strange. You might think, okay, what's the big deal there? Well, Elisha, if you continue to read this story, asks him why he stops, why he doesn't strike the five or six arrows that he actually had in his quiver. Why doesn't he uh, ground them five or six times? And he tells them that by stopping, he's only going to have a partial blessing. He's only going to get a partial victory. Which leads to the question, I wonder how many times victories are lost before the battle has even begun. Uh, what is it about us that sometimes we stop before we are finished? What is it about us that sometimes, even though we're headed in the right direction, right? We're not headed into the darkness. We're headed towards the light. We end up stopping and settling for less. If I was to really be honest about my greatest regrets, they're connected to when I prayed too little, when I've expected too little, when I've done too little. When I've said, hey, I think I'm good. I think I've done enough. I do this. I serve here. I give this. And that should be enough. And I stop. And I stop. And I don't strike all the arrows. Have you become a person who's always looking for the least that you can do? And that's not good in a relationship with another person. <laughs> and it's not good in a relationship with God. As I thought about this story, it also struck me as a bit unfair. I mean, how would the king know? Three, five, six arrows. I, I, you know, I got to thinking about that and then it hit me. How many times in my life have I, again, I stopped short of what God intended for me to do or be? And oftentimes it's innocent things. Sometimes not so much, right? Sometimes I think I know better. 
God, I, I know your instruction. I, I got it. But trust me, I got this one. I know, I know better. I'm going to do this. Or we think we've done enough. God, I serve you. I, you know, I'm at the church. I do this. I give some offerings, some tithe. Uh, I've done enough. And we don't take the next step to what God wants for our lives. You know, there was something in this, in this story, in that moment, right? In that moment where the king uh, was confronted with a decision that he could not see. He was in a tunnel. He was in darkness. He could not see what was right in front of him. But Elisha, Elisha could. He could see the opportunity. He could see the decision in front of him. Leads me to the question, right? Has, has that ever happened to you? Where something's right in front of you and you can't see it. In fact, people around you can see it. You can't see it. Anybody here a football fan? There's like, yeah, there's, there's like, I think, a big game tomorrow, right? <laughs> right? Super Bowl tomorrow, right? And I'm not going to ask you who you're going to root for. But what I am going to say is that in this game, the two quarterbacks are, are a very interesting contrast. You know, one is a first-round pick. One, Brock Purdy, was the last pick of the draft two years ago. Last pick, number 262. 261 people were picked before him. He was overlooked by 32 teams. 32 teams passed. They did not see. I wonder how many times we have a Brock Purdy moment. It's right in front of us. Here's a quarterback that could lead us to the Super Bowl. And now who knows if he'll be an all-time great, but the same argument can be made by those that are, end up in that conversation as well. You know, somebody like Tom Brady, who was picked 199, 198 picks. They said, ah, eh, he's not real that good, right? Or Joe Montana, pick number 82. Some of these quarterbacks are, if you're a football fan, uh, quarterbacks who are considered some of the best to ever play. And yet, Sometimes there are those moments where we just don't see it. You know what the greatest cause of regret is, at least in my opinion? The greatest cause of regret is not seeing the opportunity right in front of you. But as we look back, oh, I can't believe I didn't see that. I, I can't believe I didn't see that opportunity and I bypassed it. Or maybe even worse, seeing the opportunity and not acting on it. My question really is, what is holding you back from moving forward? And is it possible to see it? So I went back to the beginning of the story of Elisha and to discover some insight in what enabled him to see where the king couldn't, what enabled him to know to move forward. And this part of the story is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. And the beginning of Elisha's story is a really powerful story. See, there's two guys there, remember? Elias Eliseo, Elijah Elisha. And uh, Elijah now is the prophet. And in 1 Kings, he just shows up at Elisha's house. And he finds Elisha working there in the field. And here's the bad news. He's there to interrupt his life. I hate that. <laughs> oh, I mean, if I'm honest with myself, I hate that. I hate it when God sometimes interrupts when it's not convenient for me. And so what ends up happening is he goes to his house with the intention of interrupting his life. Here's what the text says. So Elijah went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, plowing in the field. And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elijah was plowing the 12th team. 
So Elisha is hard at work. He is plowing his field. The implication there is it's one of many fields. It also says he has 12 pair of oxen. So it's clear by uh, these comments that he's a man of wealth, that he's a man of position, and he's even driving one pair. So he's young, he's strong, he's fit. In a culture where if a person was fortunate, they had one ox, he has 24, 12 pair, and he's doing quite well for himself. He has everything going for him. Things are good. He is living his best life. And all of a sudden, God shows up and interrupts. <laughs> and he offers him a new journey. He says, I want you to pivot and go in this direction. Because that's how God works. He works through interruption, which is not always convenient or timely. See, when God interrupts, we have a choice. We're either going to make room for him in our lives or we're going to ask him to give us some space. Give me a little room, God. Right? If God wanted to move you into the new future, a new future, would you be ready for it? I mean, some of you maybe are anxiously waiting for that and you're like, yeah, I just need to figure out what that is, but I'm ready to go. But some of you may be thinking, eh, Eh, if I'm honest, no. I have a family, God. I've got a career. I've got financial responsibilities. See, many of us are so indebted to our past that we have mortgaged our future. And here's the thing about regret. The decisions that we have made in the past often takes us years to untangle. It takes us years to unwind I mean, if you have a moment that is coming to your mind right now about a regret in your life, you may still be affected by that decision even today, years later. Maybe you're in the midst of still trying to figure out how to untangle yourself from it and to move forward into the future that you long for and that God wants for your life. So my question really is, if God interrupted you, would you have to say, God, uh, I need a little bit more time. I need a little more time to wrap up my ordinary life before I can begin my extraordinary life. And this is what happens in, in this story. The story continues here, and we see what happens with Elijah and Elisha. It says, Elijah went over to him, and he threw his cloak across his shoulder, and then he walked away. <laughs> I love that picture. There's a lot of symbolism there that I won't get into in terms of the cloak over the shoulders. But really what he was saying is, are you coming or are you staying? You got a choice. Here it is, it's decision time, which I think God still says to us, right? Are you too busy living the life that you're living to join the life that God is inviting you to? Well, Elisha decides he's going for it. And so he runs after him, which has its own meaning there, a man of his prestige and, and uh, wealth would not run in that era, but this is what he does. It says, Elijah left the oxen standing there and he ran after Elijah and he said, first let me go kiss my mother and father goodbye and then I'm gonna go with you. Let me go tie up some family things. And Elijah, who's walking away, says, <coughs> excuse me, just do what you wanna do. <coughs> do what you wanna do. See, God never forces us to follow him. God is going to interrupt us, and he does this in cycles, by the way. He doesn't just do it once and give up on us. He does it in cycles. He shows up, he interrupts, but he never forces us. He keeps moving. See, I want to suggest that our biggest regret might be discovering we've been too busy holding on to the past to step into the future. 
And that's what has ended up happening uh, in, in this story and in this life, right? And so he runs after him and he says, hey, I, 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 need, to, I need you to wait for just one moment. Which again leads me to the question is, what's getting in the way of the future that God wants for you? For Elisha, if we're honest, it was his comfortable life, right? He was very successful. He had a family. He had position. He had prestige. He had wealth. He was comfortable. But Elijah decides that he's going to step into the future that God wants for him. Here's the text. It says, Elijah returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. First, let me say that it's clear barbecues are biblical. Okay, just want you to know that offhand so tomorrow you'll be good, right? So, proof text right there, right? He took his oxen and he slaughtered them, which it bothers me a little bit, but then I understand the culture of that day and I understand why that happened and what a blessing that was to that community. And then he set his plowing equipment on fire, so he turns his equipment into this altar and then he had a cookout. He literally set his past on fire to follow, and then followed Elijah. There's a story uh, about Hernan Cortez in 1519. Cortez arrived in the new world with instructions from his king to build this new land, right? To conquer and build a new civilization. And he went with 600 men and he gets there and the men want to go home. The men don't want to fight. The men don't want to work. The men don't... don't they, they just want to go back home, and he sends a clear message to them by burning the ships that they came on. He burns the ships. Very clear message. No turning back now. We're all in. He set their past and his on fire. Really leads me to the question that I want to leave you with. Are you all in? Are you all in? Not sure yet? That's maybe why you're here, right? Trying to decide in that. Next week, there's a, we begin a new series called The Invitation. Pastor Tim will be leading us out in that. And, and I don't know what it is that God's gonna invite you to. I don't know what it is. And maybe that some of you need to set your past on fire. And, and then if you don't, you're gonna regret it. What's getting in the way of the future that God wants for you? You know, oftentimes is what I call the three P's, possessions, position, and people. Sometimes it's our possessions, right? <sighs> got to keep up those things, got to acquire more, right? Sometimes it's position, we just can't release that. Oftentimes it's people. And it may be that in your life, there are some people that you need to release from your circles, because those people are driving you towards darkness instead of towards light. They're an anchor to your spiritual journey. And you'll look back one day and say, ooh, regret, right? Sometimes it's not an external thing, it's an internal thing. You struggle with something, maybe like anger. It's time to set anger on fire. Maybe it's bitterness. You've had a bad experience and you're, you're a bit bitter about it and you're here or you're listening because you want to give God a second chance. It's time to set that bitterness on fire. 
Sometimes it's failure. Sometimes in our journey, we've disappointed God. We've headed down the tunnel of darkness. We've done some things, said some things that we regret deeply. And we think, how can God accept me? How can God embrace me? How can God forgive me? How can he give me a second chance? And I'm here to tell you that he already has. Set that failure in your mind on fire and move to the future that God wants for your lives. See, for us in this community here at Crosswalk, most of us would say that we believe or that we trust in God, right? But sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, God is plan B. Our plan, what we want, our desire is plan A. And, and God, if we decide he has a good plan, okay, you can be plan B, God. And we don't ever execute plan B until plan A falls apart, right? Oh, I tried everything I could. Things are going sideways in my life. I tried everything and now I'm desperate. Okay, now I'm going to go <laughs> to plan B, to God. Fall on my knees and beg and turn, which is what the nation of Israel did over and over again. And that way, that's why there was regret attached. You know, I think about the leading cause, cause of regret for a Christ follower and I think it's not making God's plan, plan A. Elijah decided he was going to follow God no matter what. Plan A, all in, no turning back. So he set his past on fire. And then the text tells us that he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. If you understand Old Testament history, you know that he was the man in that community. He was wealthy position. He, that whole feeding of the people there was part of his, again, gift giving to that community who saw him as a leader. He was the man in that community and he decided instead that he would become a servant. He chose to follow. He chose to serve. By the way, this is often the antidote to having to acquire. This is often the antidote to the things that have a hold of us to turn and say, instead, I'm gonna serve. Instead, I'm gonna to choose to follow. Instead, I'm gonna become a servant. I'm gonna go plan A. And here's how he puts plan A through another of his spokespersons in the Old Testament, Jeremiah. He says, I got plans for you. <laughs> They're good. These plans are good. I can't wait to share them with you. They're not gonna end up in disaster. They're not going to take you down a dark road where you'll end up in darkness. Nah, this has got a great future. This has got a great outcome. The hope that you've maybe lost, you'll find it at the end of this road. God says, you want to live a no regret life? Plan A. Which leads to this question, right? Is your past an anchor? Those things that I mentioned, the three Ps, the internal things that you struggle with, is your past an anchor or is it an altar? A tool where you can create your future as you remove your past, because God has already promised to remove that from you. Or is it an excuse for not living the future that God has intended for you? We have a decision. We can say, hey God, I'm good. Thanks for the invite. I'm good, I'm gonna stay where I am, I'm gonna acquire some things, I'm gonna rule my little kingdom here. I mean, why should I leave all this? To become a servant? Or you can 
Set your past on fire. <laughs> you can burn the ships. You can choose to follow. You can choose to serve. You can say, I'm all in. Plan A. And step into the future that God has always intended for you. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your love and patience. We're thankful that you invite us to journey with you and that you have a plan for us if we're open to embracing it and following it. So as we continue to search and seek after you, I pray that you'd make it clear what's next and that we will choose to follow you today and each day. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us as we worship one more time.